0: This week's TribCast is sponsored by CVS Health. Throughout the pandemic, CVS Health has been there. Now they're providing the vaccine in designated states and long-term care facilities. Learn more at cvshealth.com. And Texas A&M University, where public health experts are working to prepare for the next pandemic. Learn more about the five strategies at today.tamu.edu. To talk you a lyric
1: And welcome to the Texas Tribune Tripcast for March 24th, 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor for News and Politics at the Texas Tribune. This week we're going to talk about um, some complicated uh, uh, news events that are kind of dominating the conversation in Texas right now, and we have two experts on the subjects joining us. Um, we have health reporter Karen Brooks Harper. Hello. And immigration reporter Julian Aguilar. Hello. Thanks, y'all, for joining us. Um, Karen, I'm going to start with you. Yesterday, the Texas Department of State Health Services announced that starting Monday, uh, that's Monday, March 29th, that all Texans over the age of 16 will be eligible to receive the coronavirus vaccine. Until then, eligibility has been limited to teachers, healthcare workers, uh, and people over the age of 50. Um, right now, about 11% of Texans are currently fully vaccinated, and about, my understanding, about 9.4 million doses of the vaccine have been administered. Tell us why this is happening now. Why Why did the state that make the decision that now is the time to open it up to everyone?
2: Um, their stated reason was because they wanted to keep the momentum going, which, you um, you know, basically means that they're expecting supplies to ramp up. They're uh, seeing more avenues of access and distribution in terms of the uh, the various um, programs and mo- uh, mobile vaccination programs and uh, the FEMA hubs and um, more providers being added to the list and um, more doses of the third vaccine, Johnson & Johnson, being made available again next month. Um, so the way they're explaining it is that they don't they just don't want there to be a slowdown or a surplus. Um, now, you know, you can we can debate whether that's happening now, um, you know, if there's uh, with with hundreds of thousands of people on waiting lists and things like that. But I think what they wanted uh, what they've said they want to do is to just keep the momentum going. Those are the words they used. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this seems to be one of the tough questions about administering the vaccine because obviously one of the big goals is that you want as many people to be vaccinated as possible so you can get as quickly to something resembling herd immunity, right? But we have seen that it can be challenging to get access, right? And there might be people, whether they're people with limited internet access or people who work and kind of can't sit in front of a computer or on their phone all day, kind of refreshing the H-E-B or, or whatever yeah. website it is you're looking at to try to get the vaccine, and I do wonder. I mean, is there a concern that this could make it harder for those folks who who you know may have been identified by the state as more vulnerable and needing to get this sooner, but because of the you know lack of surpluses, it might they might have had had trouble actually getting. There, it. There's
2: concern that it will it will still leave people behind for the reasons that you mentioned. You know, there's there's inequalities kind of built into the system um, just by virtue of it. Of it existing, you know, you've you've got um, people of color and people in rural Texas and people of lower incomes who work the kind of jobs that don't allow them to spend in order, you know, a, a huge amounts of time trying to get the vaccine, and you have um, um, just kind of lack of access to the to the places that that provide them being a, a systemic problem that we've, you know, we, that has always been around, but was exacerbated and, and kind of broken open by the pandemic. You know, um, but on the flip side, you've also got a a large group of people who are on the front lines, are public facing, um, younger people, um, who are, um, who are, uh, in as much as much high risk, um, professions, um, as some of, you know, as some of the other, uh, some of the other workers like teachers and those kind of things who will now be eligible. So now you're going to see, transportation workers, uh, grocery store workers being able to get in line. It'll also alleviate um, the whole idea and controversy over what they were calling line jumpers, you know, people who weren't eligible and getting the vaccine anyway. And so it's definitely a double-edged sword. I remember conversations early on uh, in the rollout process about, well, if we had, you know, a glut of, of doses, if they were just flooding the zone, then we would probably that we might have a different approach, you know, go to the malls, go to the places where their people were we're spreading the college campuses and, and get the spreaders as well as, you know, the people most vulnerable, but because the supply was limited and because the, the devastation was so high and the older population in nursing homes and communities of color, um, uh, they, ch- and the supply was so low. That's one of the main reasons they went to that priority group approach um, if you see hundreds of millions of doses being purchased on the federal level, um, promising higher, uh, higher supply, and we'll see how that plays out, right? You know, um, uh, then that's that's one of the reasons that they're going to more of a uh, get everybody vaccinated as fast as we can approach to it. Are,
1: are, are we at that point? I mean, do we feel, have you, have you witnessed kind of the supply ramping up is
2: it's been ramping up, you know, there've been, um, you know, hiccups where, uh, where one, you know, one week might go down a little bit, but we're, we're hitting the, you know, million dose mark uh, per week more regularly now I've noticed. Um, And, you know, FEMA, the FEMA hubs are bringing in their own doses on top of that. And with that and the pharmacy program and the nursing home program, and then just the regular doses coming to the state providers every week, it's ticking up overall. Um, You you see dips, you know, and and, and I think the state is still actually recovering from the distribution problems they had during the snowstorm, during the winter storm. Um, So uh, sometimes those daily averages go down. Um, But we are seeing a step, we are seeing steps up. You know, we're we're regularly hitting sure. a million doses a week in terms of delivery.
1: So this, yeah, the, this announcement by the state puts it at pretty much pretty far on the early side, right? Of states that are opening up eligibility to everyone. I I looked this up right before we started and, and saw that West Virginia, Alaska, and Mississippi have made all adults eligible already. Um, Georgia, Utah, and Tennessee will soon join that list. So you know, Texas isn't exactly you know out there on a limb, but it's it's definitely on the early side. On the other side of the coin, we've heard a lot about Texas being a little bit behind in terms of getting a certain share of its population vaccinated. I um, I'm looking at an NPR uh, data visualization right now, and according to this, really only. Georgia and Utah have a smaller proportion of their their residents fully vaccinated right now Texas is at 11.1% Georgia at 11 and Utah down at 9.7 we've heard some explanations from that we've heard some complaints among uh you know, the Texas delegation that maybe they're using outdated numbers for Texas' population. Uh, we've also heard details about the winter storm maybe slowing things down. I mean, what what's the explanation for Texas being kind of low on that list? Um, the,
2: there's, a, there's several theories going around. I think the outdated uh, population data is a part of that, um, using um, numbers from a few years ago. Um, I also think if you look at the per capita uh, allotments from the federal government to Texas and the other states, you'll see in a lot of cases the the states like Alaska with higher percentage of their residents vaccinated are also getting a higher number of doses per 100,000 people, somewhere in the 51 range as opposed to Texas, which was around the 36 range last I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, those are That's memory recalling, but it's roughly that. Um, you know, you're also you also have a pretty big ge- and I'm not here to make excuses for anybody. I'm just going to be kind of telling you what we're hearing uh, sure. by way of explanation for that. Um, you've got uh, you've got uh, a, a huge geographical issue uh, with Texas that some of the other states don't have um, in terms of getting doses out to, say, West Texas or, or some of the hotspots that um, may not be equipped to handle as many of the uh, of the. Uh, the requirements of some of these doses in terms of storage and and transportation and and even being able to use, you know, 975 doses of Pfizer, you know, in in one shipment. So, um, there, there's a, there's a couple of things, but, you know, we also can't not hold the state accountable in terms of planning and distribution processes. And, you know, when you have a city like Austin, where there are still hundreds of thousands of people waiting to, uh, that are waiting to be able to get, uh, on the registration roll and, and, uh, and appointments, um, where in, you know, neighboring Williamson County, those, those registrations are going a lot faster. Um, you know, there, there's, there are issues with the administration that, that should be addressed also. Um, having said that, you know, um, there are, uh, myriad problems and solutions that they're having to deal with. So, um, um, one of the things that I think is going to, or that they believe is going to help with that, is the continued involvement of the federal government and leadership on, in terms of FEMA, uh, mobile units, and uh, usage of the National Guard uh, to reach uh, partnerships with Meals on Wheels, you know, to reach people that haven't been able to get out and, and get them. So, um, so th- there's a number of, there's a number of issues going on there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> sure. And, you know, we mentioned the kind of uh, the population issue on this being they're using what a 25, 2015 or, or, or uh, several years old, yeah. at least uh, census numbers. And the argument here is that Texas grew faster than other states uh, over that time, so are not necessarily getting their full population um allocated, right? Yeah,
2: and, and and you know, if you look at the providers and you look at the doses wasted and the doses not being administered, I mean it's a low number compared to how many we've gotten. You know, it's a few mm-hmm. thousand um versus, you know, just about every week, you know, they report, you know, running out of doses or or or, or booking all their appointments and, and waiting for the next shipment to to you know to come in. So um if you look at the allotments, I think that's a big. The supply is ultimately the biggest challenge here. You know, um, it's it's always going to be the biggest challenge. You know, if if Texas had you know sixty million doses in, in hand, um, I think you'd see a different approach and different numbers. Um, but nobody has that luxury yet.
1: So, I mean, the ultimate question that everybody kind of wants to ask every time any of this news comes up is, you know, what does this mean about getting back to normal? How, how far off are we? I mean, we have seen hospitalizations go way down, right? I mean, what's just the status of the virus in this state and, and how are things playing out, especially since, you know, governor Abbott lifted his mask order a few weeks ago?
2: Well, everything is, I mean, those numbers are down, you know, they're, the hospitalization hospitalizations are down. The deaths are down. Um, you know, uh, you've got, you've got large, uh, large numbers of people in the older age groups, um, 50 or 50 and older, 80, uh, 80 and older getting their vaccines. And, uh, you're starting to see the stories of, of, of people, you know, getting back out and, and living their lives again, whether when and whether we'll return to normal, you know, um, what is normal, right? I mean, kids mm-hmm. under 12 aren't going to be getting vaccinated, you know, anytime this year, most likely, um, Kids under fifteen might be not be getting it anytime this year, most likely. So, you know, there's a long way to go. But, um, but you know, there talk about Fourth of July celebrations and September music festivals and everything, and, and masks in school in the fall. You know, it's it's just nobody is willing to go out on a limb and say absolutely, um, it's all going to be over by then. Uh, but uh, so the reverberations will be, you know, going for a long time.
1: Julian sitting here, he, he wants to know when he can go to a Rolling
3: Stones concert
2: again.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I still got a, a few hundred bucks tied up in those tickets. So, uh, <laughs> you know, wait, wait, waiting on the official cancellation or the reschedule. But uh, I'm, I'm not worried about Mick and Keith and the rest of the gang, you know, bowing out because they're going to keep going for a long time. So that's yeah. good. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Thanks. Well, we will take a short break
1: and then uh, talk a little bit about what's happening at the border right now.
0: This week's TribCast is sponsored by the University of Texas at Austin. As Texas's leading research university, UT prepares students to do research that impacts Texas's economy, cultural life and natural treasures. Learn more at UTexas.edu and Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute's vision is for Texas to be the national leader in treating all people with mental health needs. Find out more at mmhpi.org.
1: Okay, so while Texas has gotten a lot of attention for its uh, mask orders, its handling of the pandemic and the vaccine rollout, a lot of attention is also following falling on the Texas border right now for what's happening with an influx of migrants crossing the border and, and how they're being housed and how the Biden administration is handling that. Julian, you've been watching this. Um, I'm pulling some numbers from the Washington Post that said that uh, 78,000, a little bit over 78,000 migrants were apprehended in the uh, along the border in January of this year. That number increased by 28% in February to over 100,000. And indications would seem to suggest that in March that those numbers might go up again, given kind of the anecdotal evidence we're seeing on the ground. There's a lot of conversation, you know, is this a crisis? Is the Biden administration handling things? But first, let's just talk a little bit about what's happening here. I mean, what are you seeing as someone who who keeps an eye on these things uh, in Texas? Uh,
3: Well, I think just like you said, you know, the, the word crisis, right? That's like the sticking point where we've seen, um, now, for for weeks now, Republicans, uh, including our Texas Senators, John Cornyn and Ted Cruz and our Governor Abbott, you know, screaming about these conditions for these minors um, and, you know, calling it a crisis. A lot of people are scratching their heads asking, you know, well, where the hell was this compassion during the four years of the Trump administration? So that's that's the political side. Um, but yeah, the numbers are, you know, more than 100,000 apprehensions in February. Those, those numbers are... Those are big numbers, you know, and uh, the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorcas, has himself conceded that, you know, the, the border is on pace to see more apprehensions um, than it has in the last two decades, right? So, and just real quick, when I say apprehensions, the, the vast majority of these folks now are, are people surrendering to Border Patrol. They're not, you know, when you think apprehension, you think running away and, you know, having to be sort of like corralled by force. That's not the case with most of these folks. But either way, that's you know, that's how they get that's how they get labeled. So what what the Biden administration is saying is like, look, we've seen these numbers before and they're right. We have seen these numbers just two years ago under the Trump administration uh, under uh, former President Obama. We saw tens of thousands of uh, you know Cubans coming to the border right before he ended a policy that was called wet foot, dry foot. So we do see that, you know, a difference in administration and policy changes do drive these increases. Um, But what the Biden administration is coming under fire for is the fact that people say he should have expected it. Um, And, again, his own administration has conceded that, like, look, we are going to be more humane. We're going to let people apply for asylum. We're going to let more people in. So this is what you get. But the the fact that they haven't let uh, lawmakers or uh, reporters into these facilities, they're sort of operating under the same cloak of, uh, you know, um, Darkness, for lack of a better term, not being transparent, um, and some of these images that are that are getting leaked are coming from lawmakers, and it's fallen right back on the Biden administration's feet, as as it should, you know, because if we, if we, you know, uh, as reporters talked about what Obama did, what Trump did, it's only fair that we go back and talk about what Biden did. So this situation, in in my opinion, and reporting on this for a while, he's got a very small window before. Um, the administration kind of figures out exactly what to do with with these migrants, specifically the children, um, and, you know, when that's going to happen. Because the the COVID relief package that passed, uh, you know, obviously there's broad support from both parties on that. So the Republicans can't hammer the Biden administration on this. So this is their low-hanging fruit right now. And uh, to be honest, they're doing a good job about really, really sort of beating this drum Um Uh, so, you know, I mean, it could, you know, I talked to some, some folks that were saying, look, look, maybe six months from now, Biden's going to step up to the podium and be like, look, it was chaotic at first, but we got it figured out. And there's a more streamlined process. But, you know, like I said, I I think, I think a lot of people that are observing this are, are seeing this, you know, as that window for opportunity to still have a smooth process is, is closing. Uh, but meanwhile, you have immigrant, immigrant advocacy groups still pressing them to do more, right? They want more TPS designation for other folks. They want, you know. A full-blown, um, you know, immigration relief for folks uh, that, that have been in the country for a long time, specifically, um, you know, essential workers, uh, farm workers, ag workers, and things like that. Which they started making headway on on a comprehensive bill that was voted out of the House last week. But we all know that you know there are two chambers in Congress, and what happens in one doesn't necessarily translate into the other. So this is this is a very interesting time right now. When I say interesting, I mean sort of, you know. The Biden administration can still be cautiously optimistic, I think, but he his administration is giving a lot of his attractors and a lot of his critics some, some very easy ammo to, to lob at him right now. Sure, and Julian, you mentioned some some images that were coming out, uh, and you
1: wrote yesterday about some images coming from a Democratic congressman, Henry Cuellar, who, right. uh, you know, his office released uh, to journalists pictures inside a facility in Donna, right, a Border Patrol facility. Can you describe a little bit about what those pictures showed and, and kind of what the reaction has been to them?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the photographs showed, um, you know, people, too many people in in small conditions. Obviously, people were enraged about this under the Trump administration. Now they're just as upset. But now we, you know, that we talked about, obviously, for the first part of the segment, we're still in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're getting those concerns, you're getting a lot of concerns um, that sort of echo what happened under Obama and Trump that, you know, Border Patrol is tied up processing these migrants, and, and they're not really, you know, focusing on what their mission is, is to secure the border. Um, but yeah, those images were very reminiscent uh, of, of what we saw, what we've seen over the last few years. Um, so r- right now, again, the response from the Biden administration is like, look, we have to put them here before we, we send them into uh, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is the federal agency under HHS that is tasked with, with dealing with unaccompanied minors. Um, but just I think just the, the, what might have gotten lost and everything else was the fact that those had to be leaked and provided by a lawmaker as opposed to reporters actually being able to go in there and see for themselves. Um, I mean, even the society professional journalists, you know, they're saying, look, a more humane immigration policy doesn't necessarily mean that you can continue to block access. Right. So they're, they're walking a very, very fine line here. And I think that they have to figure out something very, very quickly because you know, they're, they're navigating a PR minefield right now and it's, and it could have the potential to go badly for them very soon. Sure. We, I want to step back and talk a little bit about the causes of, of
1: this. You know, the, as you said, the numbers are up. I, I've seen various explanations. It feels like there's almost a confluence of factors here. Some of it being just seasonal, right? When it, it people are less likely to to travel and to cross the border in the winter, and now the weather's a little bit better. Right. Uh, but then also the the coronavirus pandemic, which which kind of really lowered numbers last year, could. Lead to some pent up demand, and then also, as you mentioned, changes in policies and a president who has expressed a desire and an intention to be more humane in the way he treats people who cross the border and, and turn themselves into border patrol. I mean, is this really just a case where, like, all these things are coming together to 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 bring increased numbers?
3: Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, and it's, and it's totally, you know, as, as Karen said earlier, you know, it's it's a, it's not our job to make excuses for anybody, but the, I think the Biden administration can say, well, look, you know, we're undoing a lot of bad policy, so of course there's going to be this sort of um, a- anxiousness for people that have been waiting there, um, and yeah, seasonal patterns. We're in, we're in you know late March now, April. The weather the weather is nice, you know, before we get into like the horrible, horrible conditions of of you know the dregs of summer. Uh, we're just a few months out from, you know, freezing winter temperatures in the desert, you know, here in El Paso, where I am in Arizona and other places where folks cross. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's a fair sort of defense. If that's what they're offering, saying, look, this happens all the time. Um, look, look at the numbers and they're not as high as, as we, you know, these aren't record numbers yet, but they're, they're getting pretty close to, to being at that level. Um, but I think that, you know, when they say like, well, yeah, this is to be expected because people knew we were going to sort of backtrack on these harsh policies, well, then, you know, the immediate response in reaction to that is like, well, if you're conceding that you knew this was going to happen, you should have been better prepared for it. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's where the, the problem in, in messaging is coming. But again, not, not to defend the administration, but, but, you know, President Biden is still immediately expelling um, large numbers of migrants. I saw it firsthand when I was on the bridge that connects Hila Juarez and El Paso here last week. You know, I I mean, I'm not sure if a lot of reporters thought that their days of seeing, you know, crying, desperate migrants, like with no money in their pockets, you know, asking where the hell am I? I don't know if people if we really knew that those days were over, but that's exactly what we're seeing again now. So the Biden administration, it's trying to have it both ways to say, look, the border is not open. We keep sending back. Um, a lot of these folks and not letting them apply for asylum. So while they're doing that, they're getting hammered by the left and the the immigrant rights folks. But because they are letting certain people in, specifically as unaccompanied minors, then all of a sudden now you get this political football uh, with the likes of Cruz, Korn, and and, and Abbott, um, you know, saying, well, this is going to lead to more human trafficking. And look, covering the border, not just immigration, but the border, The criminal elements in Mexico, they will do whatever they can to make money. You know, let's go back to the like, oh, well, you legalize marijuana. It's going to take power away from the cartels. No, because they're going to go into pirated DVDs or they're going to go into human smuggling or they're going to, you know, they they diversify their portfolio. So um, human trafficking has been around for a long time. A lot of these critics say it's always going to be a problem. But I think the question is when former Governor Perry in 2014, he was the first one to send DPS and ask for the National Guard during these surges. Uh, governor Abbott then was the attorney general. He was well positioned to look into this human trafficking and he, and he didn't do it then. So the question is, is it just a political ploy now or what has changed? Because we're not even a month and or a year and two months away um, from Governor Abbott being the first governor to say, I'm not going to enter into the refugee resettlement program. And he was very proud to do that. So I think there are a lot of sort of speculation as to why this sudden um, you know, concern about the humane conditions and the humanity. I mean, border security has always been a, a talking point, but now the shift is like, oh my God, look at these poor kids. I don't remember them saying anything when I saw kids sleeping under the bridge in downtown El Paso and is a couple years ago, you know? So I think that's where we are. And it's, it's it's a big hot mess, you know? I mean, sorry to be not eloquent as, as a reporter should be, but that's <laughs> the perfect way to describe it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Julian, I mean, you've you've touched on this, but It is it is absolutely true that the Republican Party sees an opportunity here, and we've seen various signs of that this week, whether it was um, a a delegation from the Texas Senate going down to the border and and trying to get access to a border patrol facility or, as you've discussed, Cruz you know, talking about going down there and really kind of putting out a fight, trying to get uh, reporters access to go with them when they do this. Uh, another thing that really struck me this week was U.S. Rep. Philemon Vela, who's a Democrat uh, who represents a, a district along the border, uh, announced his retirement. And what something that came out or, or the uh, the National Republican Congressional Committee put out a statement uh uh, upon his announcement, basically saying, "Here, I'll, I'll read it, Phil Vela knows Biden's border crisis will cost him his seat and Democrats their House majority. Texans deserve a congressman who is going to stand up to Biden's open border agenda, not defend it. I mean, we're seeing right now, uh, as you mentioned, a, a very strong effort to change the subject from the coronavirus relief package and some of the things that are happening in there to what's going on the, at the border Which has been a political winner for Republicans for a very long time. So, uh, you know, I I would say, as observing this from a political angle, it is absolutely true that they are they are seeking to take advantage of this. Although that does not necessarily mean that it's it's making a crisis out of nothing. You know, as as you've mentioned, there are real problems here that are that are being addressed.
3: Right. Yeah. And and to follow up on your point, you know. Congressman Vicente Gonzalez and, and Henry Cuellar of, of McAllen and Laredo, respectively, they've also been targeted, right, on their sort of um, their politics for the border. And you've seen them, you know, sort of be, I think, the, the spokes the spokespeople for, for the moderate Democrats or what, you know, used to be known as the blue dog Democrats to push back on this. So, um, again, there's a lot of politics, you know, but, but to your point, the RNCC, you know, did send out a press release saying, okay, now Henry Cuero is backtracking because, you know, pretty much saying, look, we scared him into saying something. Now he said too much. Now he's kind of backtracking. But the the way this all falls in line um, with respect to the next year's elections uh, depends, you know, on this messaging and depends on how quickly the Biden administration is able to, you know, to to affect positive change and and solutions there that um, don't give, don't give his opponents and and the Republicans this uh, sort of ammo to, which is really easily, easily available right now, in my opinion, to, to lobby at these Democrats that are, you know, up, up, could potentially face significant primaries and general elections next year.
1: That's right. And we're a long way out from November 2022. So who knows what this situation will look like in a year and a half and, right. you know, what other topics there will be that, that will be dominating that political debate. Um, It will be interesting to see how the the Biden administration handles this and and addresses some of these challenges. Uh, Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Karen. I think that does it for us this week. Thank you to our sponsors, the CVS Health, Texas A&M University, the University of Texas at Austin, and the Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute. Thank you to Todd, our producer. We will talk to you next week.